dog. Something killed your dog? My dog went flying through the air over the tree. I don't know how it did it. Okay. Damn it, I'm really confused. All I saw was my dog coming over the fence and they was dead when she hit the ground. I didn't see any cars. All I saw was my dog coming over the fence. Uh, we got someone or something crawling around out here. Did you see what it was? Was it a person or an animal or? Jesus Christ, you better. Sir? Yeah. Hello? Get somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot nine, I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh-oh. Okay, hang on. He's right. Is he in your yard, sir? Yeah, God, he's big. Okay, what's he doing in your yard? He's looking at me. Somebody along the line said that the universe is not only stranger than you think, it's stranger than you can think. <laughs> There's a statement I use, if you're green, you grow, if you're ripe, you rot. So I like to stay green until I'm not here anymore. Just keep learning because that's what it's all about. And welcome to the show. You're listening to Bigfoot in the Citizen Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and I'd like to thank you for being here. If you have an encounter or story that you'd like to share with me, shoot me an email. My email address is sciencemeetsbigfoot at gmail.com. You can also contact me on any of the main social media platforms. Hit that message button on the Anchor.fm app or give the voicemail line a ring at 641-715-3900 using extension 448-449. Remember to leave your contact information so I know who to contact back. Today, I have British Columbia's Five Black Walks native tribe member and Sasquatch investigator Tom Seawid on to talk about Sasquatch, some of the traditions of his people, some encounter stories, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's interview. always known this was there. You know, we've had our oral history for thousands of years. We've co- coexisted with them. Oral history. A history passed down through generations. A history that tells the Nuchanoth people of Vancouver Island that they're not alone. That they share their territory with a creature that goes by many names. One of them is Sasquatch. When I was probably in my early 20s, uh, she told me, she, she, she used to call me Guy, and she said, Guy, I said, there's this thing called Sasquatch. She says, you believe in them? I said, I do, Nan. She says, they're there. And she said, uh, when I was a young girl, she, was, she passed away when she was 90, God bless her. But uh, she said, when she was a little girl, the hunters used to go out for five, six days. They'd come back telling stories of seeing the giant hairy man in the woods. Although there are many who don't believe, Willard is definitely not alone in his conviction that Sasquatch is a living, breathing creature. Yeah, we were 
we were told about them. And we, to this day, we, we still, I still believe in, they are around. Even way before we ever had street lights in our villages, we, we often heard about these big Sasquatch. In our language, Uchanath, we pronounce it Pukmas. And we got the Coast Salish and Haida Gwaii, Bukwis, and Junaqua. Junaqua is a female. Different names, different traditions, but all describing a creature that to those who believe is a revered part of the world. We don't take it lightly to have people make fun of these kind of things because it's in our teachings we, we accept what, what comes to us. They were here way before we were ever here. This is, this is their land as well. A lot of people that are skeptical about it, and uh, they want they want the body, they want the evidence, and you know, we've always had our evidence. You know, our all our history is our evidence, because you know, our elders don't tell lies about stuff like that. It's not a fearful thing. It's that's a big part of our history. We we keep teaching our young our young ones to always be connected with stuff like this. They show their presence, but today they'd never, they'd never harm us. As long as we respect them, they'll, they'll always have our respect for us. They will confront us, not because they want to, but because they're territorial, you know? It's just like, if we go wandering to somebody else's backyard, we're gonna be, we're gonna be confronted. It's the same thing. But just lately in the last few years, they've been on our Trisha Reserve. They've been visually seen on the highway. Right up in that area there is where we suspect they're crossing here because it's been visually spotted here more than once. And uh, the funny thing was is, one that told me that she said that they seen it. They said it wasn't bobbing like a man. This one lady, I was talking with her, and she said, my sister's seen it twice. I says, where? She said, at, at the market. That market's right across from my house. I said, whereabouts? She says, by the totem poles. I've had tree push down behind my house. I've had a tree snap beside my house, but it wasn't, a, it didn't get pushed over like a, a rotten tree, it was snapped, a big loud snap. The increase in local sightings is concerning to Willard, who believes something has lured or chased the creature from the high country. It could be the deforestation, could be curiosity. You know, all we can do is speculate. The skeptic scientists or whatever, you know, anthropologists, whatever, they want a hardcore evidence, you know. I'm not worried, you know, I'll, I'll be worried if somebody shoots one. And that's not the way to get the evidence, but some people, they figure they gotta have it on a slab before, you know, 
And that's not the proper way to do it. I suppose um, we should uh, start getting into it. So I just wanted to start off by, well, let's introduce you. This yeah. is Tom, this is Tom Seawood. Uh, if you don't know who he is, you're not a very versed Sasquatch researcher. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, investigator. Yes. Investigator. Now there is no research. That's right. That's right. So uh, what's, I was hoping to start off by uh, having you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Tom Seawit. Greetings in my language from the Pukwakiwak First Nation from Northern Vancouver Island, where I was born and raised for most of my life and spent considerable time, probably well over 25 years, out in that area of northeastern Vancouver Island in what is called the Broughton Archipelago. It's off the northeast side of Vancouver Island between the mainland and it's a labyrinth of probably well over a thousand islands at the mouth of two major inlets. Kinkham Inlet in the north and a little bit southwest, the Knights Inlet where my tribal territories of the Mamleka tribe is. And uh, I used to go out there clam digging and hunting and fishing. And in 1989, I was appointed by my chief and council to be the native watchman for our banded native village. The native village we call Mimkonlis, the village of the rocks and the islands out front. But it was abandoned in 1968 and 20 years later when I went there, I realized by the first yachter who came in on a dinghy and the first two sea kayakers that they referred to it as Mama Lalapula, village of the last potlatch because of all of the books and shows that have been done about the 1921 Christmas potlatch that was held at my village, where the Canadian or the Dominion of Canada's government at the time would send over 20 of our ancestors to prison, Ocala Prison Farm, for breaking the anti-potlatch laws in that village. So potlatch is a great ceremony to our people that we still host to this day. and. One of the main things you're going to see at a potlatch is a family with their chief when he opens their gildas, their symbolic box of treasure. You're going to see their chunaka, their Sasquatch story belonging to that family come to life and dance and song. Now, I can get into many different other things of a potlatch, but basically that's what it is to share what your ancestors experienced, what crests you hold title to where your family origins come from. It's everything to us, the potlatch. So the people were sent to prison and our people were afraid to potlatch again until I think it was 1961 when it was legalized and a revival happened. That's why we still have potlatching. And fortunately, we're still able to participate in one of our greatest celebrations, if not our greatest celebration of life, and see all of those crests come to life and dance and song. So this village had, in 1989, when I went in there, there was fallen totem poles that were returning back to earth, rotting. And there was big house beams, these great massive cedar logs that were the 
pillars and the rafters of our big houses or what we call a gyuksi, which is our traditional home and where we held these potlatches. So people were coming to this village. I dragged a 26-foot trailer in there with my small little crew on a landing craft. And we built a 10 by 10 foot cabin and we were watchmen in the summer. And, you know, we saw bears and deer and fished halibut, salmon, ate a lot of crab and worked every day with the tourists. And we would evolve this interpretive tour through the totem poles on the ground and the big house remains. And nothing out of the ordinary happened. And, you know, you'd go in the village and you'd see this beautiful pole, memorial totem pole lying on its back. And it was a grizzly bear with paws like that. And on the paws were carved, puckered up lips and eyes. And you knew it was Chunok on the two grizzly bear paws. There's pictures and paintings of that. Holes pretty much deteriorated now. But you knew that Chunok, the Sasquatch, your ancestors were carving it, raising it on totem poles, bringing it to life in that village when they lived there for thousands of years. And you'd heard the stories and everything. You know, I had at that point, hadn't really had very many encounters. I, you know, they're distant vocalizations, tree knocks, see tracks, smell something. But it was, I guess, about into the end of the summer where we started to, you know, a rock would get rolled into our camp where our cabin was in our trailer. And you'd smell something. You'd feel like you were being watched. And, you know, that was the first year. The next year we went back, me and a friend of mine were there and with a small crew. And at the end of summer, we left the camp for about two weeks. And Trevor and I went back in there to retrieve the equipment. You know, we had generator and VHF radio and food and you name it. We had it out there. That's when we had our first close encounter with the Sasquatch. It was sleeping behind the trailer when we arrived with the speedboat. That's when I knew. Uh oh, these things really are out here. And the following year, I went in there again in the beginning of October, this time of the year, uh, with a commercial salmon seine boat that I was captain of. We anchored it out in that bay, and the trailer with the addition cabin was there. And we heard something, we smelled something, we put a spotlight on, and lo and behold, a big male and a big female Sasquatch on just above the high tide mark in the grass and small, um, what do you call it? hemlock trees and spruce trees that were only at that time about maybe 10 feet high, but we saw these two Sasquatches in the spotlight. It's one of the most famous sightings, I guess, from the Vancouver area because Dr. John Bindernagel, I would meet a week later and tell him of this encounter. And he wrote it in his first book, uh, Sasquatch, North America's Undiscovered Great Ape. And that encounter we had is in there. And I guess you could say that's what really tweaked my curiosity that, you know, they're out there and, you know, you get scared, but like anything in life, you know, you got to, something scares, you got to jump back on that pony and ride it again. So I went back out the bush, spent quite a few weeks out there and, you know, shook the fear and then might just live my life. And there was times where I would, know they're around me like we used to walk a friend of mine we used to go up into the high mountains and punch through the tree line and get into the alpine and we'd walk days in the alpine and then down to the forest and come out in another inlet meander through logging roads cross rivers and streams 
hitchhike with crew boats, which are water taxis or camp watchmen or whoever to get across an inlet to access another logging road system to get up into the tree line and punch through into the alpine and walk through that alpine down to the timber into another inlet. So I spent weeks, months, many times up in that, I guess you could say, Timbuk frickin' nowhere, the bush. And I had numerous, I don't call them encounters. I just knew they were close by. We'd, you know, see them tree peeking on us, you know, a couple hundred yards away, see their tracks, see their uh, structures. But uh, we'll get into that later. But uh, anyway, you knew they were there. And it was no biggie to me. It was just the other tribe. They're out there. But I adhered to what my training is from a young boy when we were brought out from Alert Bay to go shellfish digging. We were brought to a beach in the daytime, high kind of high tide. And we were told to walk up to the high tide mark and look up and down the beach for any broken cockle shells or clam shells piled on a rock or a log with meat still in it and impressions in the gravel. And sure enough, you know, we did come across that. We were told that's the Chonakha Sasquatch telling you they're digging at this particular beach right now. So turn around, get in this boat. We're going to leave. We're going to go a mile either side, one of the directions, and do the same thing. And which we did. And we found no broken shells, no depressions in the gravel from big footprints. And the elders explained, we know that Chonakha Sasquatch isn't harvesting their shellfish here. We will harvest here tonight at low tide. And of course, Tommy, 10,000 questions. Well, why do we do that? Respect. You always respect the Tonakwa, Sasquatch. If they leave broken shells or they throw something at you or they make noise, they tree knock, they break branches, they push dead trees over at you, they throw things at you, they're telling you, stop, human, turn around, go back where you came from. I don't want you here. So that's what I adhered to all my life out there in the wilds of coastal British Columbia and elsewhere. I always adhered to the code and I still do. And for that, I've never made it on missing 411 with what's his name. I never became a statistic. (laughs) You know, and that's what I tell everyone is do the same thing. Don't ever, ever think of hunting a Sasquatch. God forbid, don't ever think of trying to kill one. That is so wrong in the Pakwakiwak culture. And it's wrong overall. Why would you want to do that? You know, so it's just treat them with respect. And, you know, that's what we do. And, you know, one of the best things I could tell you as an investigator, remember, there is no researchers until you get that Diane Fossey, Jane Goodall interaction. Then we're researching. Right now we're investigating. So we want that crispy, clear video, still pictures. Can you imagine if you had a Diane Fossey, Jane Goodall interaction with a clan of Sasquatches and you're able to grab that cell phone of yours with video and videotape them as they're biting into an apple or a piece of meat that you brought them and you see the plaque and everything else build up and chip teeth and worn teeth. And you can see the, the structure of the lips and the gums and the tongue, the eyes as they move and the blood vessels and then the years and the facial features, you know, with the wrinkles and the movement of muscles as they're biting something or chattering, talking to one another or, you know, articulating, conveying communication by just facial features with you. 
and you bring that video to the internet, how the hell can those skeptics disagree with that? You know, that's conclusive proof. There's no need to shoot a Sasquatch to get it. And, you know, can you imagine getting the close-up videos and still pictures with the, you know, the, with the iPhone 20 whatevers they are now and the Samsung 20 whatevers, and you get the epidermal ridges and you see the movement of the toes and the muscles moving. Well, Dr. Jeff Meldrum, and he's a foot dude, you know, he looks at that video and goes, that is definitely cannot be fake. That is a real creature with muscle structure moving. You can tell by the way the toes are curling and yada, yada, yada. And then you show the hands and you see the fingerprints, you see the scars, you see the dirt under the nail. That's the kind of conclusive proof that I'm after. And hopefully everyone else is too, because we don't need a dead subject to confirm the existence of Sasquatch. You just need to talk to us Indians. And every Indian on North America that we call Turtle Island for thousands of years, because it looks like a turtle from space. This is not a UFO podcast. I'm not going to get into my ancestors and how they knew North America looked like a turtle with the flippers being uh, Aleutian Islands and Newfoundland, Labrador, the mouth being Hudson's Bay and the Arctic Islands, the flippers being Baja and Florida and the tail being Mexico and Central America. Go figure. I don't know. But I call North America not Turtle Island. I call it Sasquatch Island. Because like my shirt shows you there. Every Indian tribe and everyone that lives here, there's so many of us that have names and stories and encounter stories about these big hair-covered bipedal creatures. So I call North America Sasquatch Island, and that's why my Facebook group and my new YouTube channel, my website is Sasquatch Island. You're standing on it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> well. My next question was, uh, how did you get into the subject? And it sounds like your answer is not the average answer of what I've heard and what I've got from people. Whereas it's usually finding, uh, or, uh, what is it? Uh, Leonard Nimoy's show or, uh, Patterson Gimlin film. You kind of grew up with it, right? Oh yeah. You know, I remember I was a young boy. I was told, Tommy, you behave yourself listen to your elders and your parents you do your chores you don't whine and temper tantrum uh you don't steal because if you break the rules Tonach was always watching you sasquatch he's not allowed to touch you but if you break the rules and misbehave she's going to come with big hairy arm stick it through the window where you sleep or porthole on a boat tent and she's going to grab you and shove spruce sap rub it into your eyes so it's sticky so you can't see and she's going to shove you in a sack or her basket on her back you might be able to see the baskets behind me up there on the shelf those mm -hmm. are used in the regalia when we bring to life our chonohua dance and regalia but sasquatch i was told the chonohua is going to carry you off deep into the forest to her invisible home and that's where she's going to boil you up and eat you so behave yourself was always watching around. So I grew up being afraid of Sasquatch, you know, and Chonakwa, you know, our Sasquatch. And I passed that on to my children. You know, I remember them terrified out in the bush when I'm like, hey, you smarten up. Chonakwa's watching you. You behave yourself and eat your soup. Right away, they'd eat their soup and they wouldn't snivel, bitch, or whine. You know, that was our boogeyman. That's very interesting. That's I. That's uh, out of the normal from what I've heard. That's I like that. 
Um, I have to go back because uh, from other interviews that I've heard you do, uh, such as on Paranormal Portal with, with Brent Thomas, uh, several times you've been on there, actually. Um, I know, you, you know what? I don't listen to podcasts. I surely don't listen to me, but I've been on quite a few. <laughs> you have. But I've heard you talk about multiple times uh, spending time with John Bender Nagel. And uh, he is one, I, one, one of the reasons why I am so adamantly into the scientific aspect of the, of the subject is because of John Bender Nagel and Jeff Meldrum. Um, and so I have to ask you, have, have you spent time investigating with, with John, right? Oh, yeah. Multiple times. So what was it like? Like, if, if, if you don't mind, send us send the listeners through a trip out in the field with John Bindernig. Oh, we picked him up in Telegraph Cove, which is the hub for whale watching, grizzly bear tours, sea kayaking up in northeastern Vancouver Island. I went in there with my commercial sane boat called Skidigan. You know, all the tourists were looking at me like, oh, God forbid, a commercial fish boat's in here. And, you know, <laughs> here's this good friend, John, and this white beard, white hair, and he's all excited. He's just vibrating. Oh, good to see you, Tom. Good to see you. Oh, I can't wait to go investigating. And we load all his gear on the boat. And back then, trail cameras were these aluminum, like, ladders that were, instead of rungs, they had, or not rungs, but instead of the ha- the sides, it was cable. But with these aluminum rungs that you put on the animal trail and you buried in leaves and you had these 35 millimeter cameras with a flash bulb with four flashes available and he had i think half a dozen of those damn things and it was like clanging and banging loading it on my boat as soon as we got him loaded up i asked him if he had his parking ticket because they charge you there oh yeah i got my ticket i got my ticket i said get up on the bridge and grab a beer and told my crew cut the lines and we backed out of there and first thing john does is he comes up and we had these five-gallon oil bucket filled with ice and water and beer he comes up and he's holding the Coors Light and the Budweiser and he's like (laughs) why why, why someone who lives in British Columbia and has the best beer in the world almost why would you have this American piss water (laughs) (laughs) go down the fridge it's full of kokanee I'm keeping them colder and kokanee is the beer with the Sasquatch logo and that so that's why they threw down to get him a six pack and some a bucket of ice. And John sat up there and we took off. And I always remember just he's just leaning on the Dodger and we're up on the open bridge and flat calm like a mirror in mid September. We're heading out across Johnson Straits and there's whales. And I'm like, hey John, there's some orcas, and there's a humpback whale, and there's a seal and sea lion rookery. Oh, 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 I don't, I don't care about that, Tom. Where's the Sasquatches? Where are we going to find Sasquatches? And <laughs> off we went. He was just asking me question after question. And after about an hour and a half traveling, he says, "There's a lot of Sasquatches." He goes, "You have so much information." And I said, "Well, I just listen to all the stories." I said, "I've been a fisherman all my life, and I've been an Indian all my life, and I've..." growing up in Alert Bay and been in all the ports around here and then charging around in my speedboats, being a native watchman, I'm talking to the homesteaders, the fish farmers that live out there for their shifts, the homesteaders that have their little home that they're trying to eke a livelihood out in the bush, water world, the crab fishermen, the clam diggers. And what do I always ask them? Hey, what do you know about Sasquatch? 
So I was filling John in to point into Robson Bike, Killawale Sanctuary now, but Sasquatch activity there, Telegraph Cove up behind there, the activity and Hanson Island and this island and this guy's sighting. And he was just amazed at it. We went in, dropped our anchor in that anchorage, native anchorage, where we had the sighting because the sighting the year before when we went ashore and put up these trail cameras he had. And I'm like, God, that was a nightmare. <laughs> he's all excited and you can ask him a question and he's explaining to you and he's going out the right field and left field. And, oh, where was I? Where was I? Oh, I got to get this trail camera set up. I'm like, hurry up, John, for Christ's sakes, it's getting dark. <laughs> So we got everything set up. We shot a seal. We put it on the beach up at the high tide mark for bait. And we went back to the boat. All of a sudden, it just hears this clamor up on top of the roof. And I thought John had a little bit too many coconuts and slipped and wiped out to run out in deck. And he's just scrambling down the ladder. Look, 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 Tom. Look, look, look. Get your spotlight. So we shown the spotlight over where the seal carcass was. And it wasn't there no more. And he said, I was watching it. I could see the black shadow on the white, whitish rock where the seal was. All of a sudden, something big and black came out. and The seal was dragged into the forest. So right away, he wanted to go look for tracks and see if we could find it. And I'm like, no, John. I said, that's disrespecting the Sasquatch. I said, we fed him. I said, hopefully he left us tracks or something in the morning. We'll go and look in the morning. But he was all excited. We went in there and. And uh, we didn't find any definitive tracks. I did. I can say back then, you got to remember, I was in my late 20s. So I wasn't the experienced bushman that I am now for decades being a grizzly bear and other bear hunting guide. But at that time, I knew that what I saw in the bush was not indicative of a big black bear. It looked a little bit bigger, the bushes, the slough and the branches, how they were moved. So did we have a Sasquatch come grab that dead seal? We don't know. But we did have something come grab it. And that island has a lot of black bears. So who knows? But, you know, then, you know, that was our encounter. And then I took them out to other places, took them into Village Island. And God, I wish I recorded all that cameras. You know, back then, you didn't, I, I didn't care about pictures, you know. But, you know, John was there looking at the totem pole, showing off uh, carvings on the grizzly bear paws, asking me questions about the big welcoming pole that once stood in our village that had a with outstretched arms that uh, Emily Carr, the famous Canadian painter in the 1920s, painted, and other things depicting Chonokwa and telling him all that history and him asking questions. I had benches sitting there that I built in front of the big house remains for the native cultural tours with tourists in summer, yachters and dinghy people that come in on their dinghies from sailboats and sea kayakers. And John and I were just sitting there and we were just talking about Sasquatch and everything. And I, you know, just told him, you know, what I believed and everything. And at that time, he made me understand that Sasquatch was possibly on the branch of Giganopithecus Blackie, that big known ape with a fossilized tooth from 110,000 years ago. We knew it existed in Asia and if there was Bering Land Bridge and your ancestors came across as did other animals, so too would Sasquatch. So I believed as John that it was Giganopithecus Blackie on that path. And that's why he called his book Sasquatch, North America's Undiscovered Great Ape. But it was just prior to his death by probably three or four years where 
John was getting on in age where him and I would have these in depth conversations. And I remember we'd be talking away and he'd just like, Oh, 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 academia doesn't accept me. And I can't talk to anyone with the knowledge like you and you and I can talk one-on-one and he's all excited, chattering away like a Sasquatch. We would sit there for hours. Just that was John and I's relationship. I think what he was doing was instilling upon me the scientific perspectives to what Sasquatch could possibly be. But he was also preparing me for when you would be challenged by the scientists and by the skeptics. And that's why I chose in my life's path, unlike John, who was very humble, very passive, understanding, and a man who would bite his tongue. And I looked at what it did for him and the Sasquatch science part of it. It really hampered him. It really troubled him and disturbed him that academia wouldn't accept his work. And people would run away from him, then accept him. Because it was academic political suicide to support someone who was a believer in Sasquatch, Bigfoot. And it troubled him right up until his death. I know that. And, you know, we talked about it quite a bit, but he prepared me. And that's why I remember just before his death when I went to see him. And I do have the picture I share. He was a pretty frail end, but, you know, we're in his basement with all the plaster casts and we're outside, got a few pictures with him. It was one of my expeditions. A gentleman from uh, the lower mainland of uh, Fraser River, British Columbia, came with me and I brought him there as part of it. And anyway, uh, John, he said, uh, I listened to you on the internet. And uh, he goes, I see you've chosen to be what your native training is because I belong to the Hamatsa Society. Anyway, it's a very fierce society, but uh, we're not to be meek and mild-mannered, put it that way. So that's why in Sasquatch Island, I don't put up with any bullshit. You know, so if someone comes on there and there's a whining, sniveling, crying skeptic, I tell them to button their lip because if they don't have anything good to say, don't say a damn thing at all because we don't want to hear it. And that's your first and last warning. And if you act up again, I'm going to flush you. And that's where I take a picture from their profile. I advertise it in the post that this fool got advertised. His name is so-and-so or her name is so-and-so. And she's from this state or province. And here's their picture. And they've been flushed. And I put a picture of Sasquatch sitting on a toilet, taking a dump, laughing away. And you've been flushed from Sasquatch Island. You've really screwed up. And, you know, I keep a folder of all the ones that have been flushed. One day there'll be a T-shirt of all the flushed ones from Sasquatch Island. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, but say, it seems like there's always one or two of them that sneak in somehow. Oh, yeah. But, you know, you look at that uh, BFRO. I don't know if it's not their, their uh, what do you call it, Facebook group. That's by the BFRO group. It's, I think it's some fly-by-nighter. But, you know, I've watched it because, you you know, you got to watch all of them, even though some of them are woo-woo and others are just complete bullshit. But you watch them because every now and then someone who doesn't know the group and is a negative group will post a trail picture camera or audio. So you, we're investigators. You got to belong to, as I do, probably well over 200 Bigfoot Sasquatch and uh, paranormal groups so that I can see what chatter is out there. And, you know, and there's some pretty damning pictures coming in of the existence of Sasquatch. We'll say that. And that's all what John taught to be that investigator. 
But one of the greatest things he taught me, and I pass it on to others to learn, Dr. John Bindernagel, when he taught me, when in doubt, throw it out. So in other words, how do we define that? Well, that's a whole podcast in itself, when in doubt, throw it out. You know, there's so many different red flags that come up, you know, just uh, for example, the name Todd Standing, you know, as soon as that comes up, what do you do right there? Red flags, looks like communist China, there's so many. You know, when in doubt, throw it out. You know, what do you call it? Clipped the hairs off the ass end of his German shepherd and glued it to his face and called it a Sasquatch. No, that's not a Sasquatch. Todd Standing puts out there one, two, three times. Those are basically Muppets. And, you know, you really got to watch that. And that's, you know, ethics and integrity. It's everything. And uh, I'm known as Tom Ass. Hey, yeah, that's me. Still got ethics and integrity, but at the same turn, I don't put up with BS. I run my Facebook group and comment section the way I ran my commercial fish boats. I'm captain. If you don't like the way things are run on my ship, then get the hell off it. You're not welcome on deck if you're going to be a sniveling, whining, negative, nilly little bitch. And that's what people got to understand. We're Sasquatch investigators. Some of us have decades of experience being bushers. We're out there rubbing sticks together sometimes when our big lighter gets lost or gets wet to get a fire going because we don't, we die. And we're out there doing our passion, which is Sasquatch investigating. Well, we're doing another passion. Might be hunting, might be clam digging, might be fishing, Mm -hmm. might be hiking, mushroom picking. But we're bushers. We're rough around the edges. We mean what we say and we say what we mean. And that passes into our groups i see a lot of groups now because of chatter out there about oh that tom seawood he, he's, he's a beep 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 actually no he actually runs a pretty tight ship in sasquatch island and i've heard him speak on podcasts and he says what needs to be said and he means what he says that's what a busher is can you imagine trying to be a sniveling whining little wimp sitting down with a sasquatch the ultimate busher yeah, <laughs> it's slap you upside the head and make you a steaming coiler in the bush the next day. He's going to eat you. He's not going to put up with your BS and sniveling. And that's what our community needs to act like. We have to regress back to the way Sasquatches are, or progress the way Sasquatches are. You know, we've regressed as a human species to the sniveling whiner, leftist, oh, don't offend me, put me in a panic room type society where the Sasquatches are still living as they've always lived shake a tree, throw a stick at you, pop a rock off the side of your head, maybe push a dead tree down on your tent, but they get the message across. I don't want you here. Hmm. And that, to me, when you watch the show Apocalypto Hmm. uh, with uh, Mel Gibson and the Mayan Empire just before contact, and when the Mayans from the city go out and capture those native slaves and they have them all tied up by their necks and they're walking back into the Mayan city at the fringe of the village of the city. Someone drops a big hardwood tree down and that warrior chief, he just stops in his tracks, gives a mean look and he goes, hey, can't you see I'm walking here? When I saw that, it sent chills up my back. I'm like, that's the way we were as humans. We said what we meant, and we meant what we said, and that's what Sasquatches do. And that Mayan warrior act and vocalize just like a Sasquatch does. Hmm. Respect. I never thought of it that way. That's yeah, wow. That's eye opening, actually. Um, well, it's 
you know, if you're going to remember, you know, most investigators, they come from urban environments with uh, turn on the lights and turn on the water. I lived out in bush for 26 plus years. You know, you have to rip a leaf off a tree for toilet paper. And uh, we didn't have electricity other than a flashlight. When those batteries died by firelight. So, you know, the world I come from, we didn't have television. So we had a lot of time out there to ponder and think. And then when I wasn't working <clears throat> as a commercial fisherman or a tour guide in the summer or a hunting guide in spring and fall, specializing in grizzly bears and black bears, I hated humans. I was rogue. And I'd come into the Campbell River after a hunting season and a tourist summer season and I have a big wad of cash in my pocket, no wife, no mortgage, no urban responsibilities. And I'd be sitting there going, now what am I going to do? Oh, I got to go to my parents' house for Christmas. God, I hate Christmas. What a complete waste of my bloody time and everyone else's. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, I know what I'll do. I'm going to get drunk for the next two nights and have a good time, eat a lot of pizza and Chinese takeout in my hotel room with a hangover. But while I'm there, I'm going to make a few phone calls and I'm going to get myself a camp watchman job. Yeah. And I would do that after with a big hangover and I got from my hangover. I'd board a float plane or a water taxi with a big wad of cash in my pocket or buried in a mayonnaise jar or pickle jar in someone's backyard or out in the bush. I'd head back to the bush, a bunch of bullets, a bunch of cartons of cigarettes, mm-hmm. go watch a logging camp for the winter, make $125 a day cash on the barrel head, eating their food, and in some cases, smoking their cigarettes and eating their chocolate bars shooting pool by myself, weightlifting, using their vehicles and their boats, because that's what you do as a watchman. And you, Christmas comes up and you didn't even know. But you do know when New Year's Eve is, because that's when you round up fellow bushers from the other watchmen from the other logging camps and homesteaders. and You get a big shindig going in your float house logging camp and you get jig them out, pickled to the eyeballs. And at midnight, when you wish in Happy New Year's, you're on the patio with your guns, banging in the New Year. That's bush life. And who uh, needs when you have that? Uh, I grew up in uh, I, I grew up going to Central Oregon to to hunt out in uh, near Bend, Oregon area, and uh, I've spent uh, New Year's Eve and Christmas uh, out there, and that was one of my favorite pastimes is shooting guns off at night and celebrating that way. Um, so. You had touched on earlier uh, tree structures, um, and I was curious to know uh, if, so you have some, from what I gather from listening to some some of your previous interviews, you have a little bit, of, or maybe a lot, of Sasquatch knowledge on what the tree structures, bending branches, and vocalizations mean. Um, could you touch on to that? Well, I always remember what, Lucas White, the Omaha tribe member, taught me a few years back, and we communicate in the messenger every week. They have laws, Tom, very strict laws. They have language. They have culture. They have laws, very strict laws. So that's why I call them the humans of the night. They're the other tribe. I believe they're feral humans. And how is your question again? Where do you want me to go with this one? Um, Structures. So yes, uh, and maybe the at, meaning. Yeah, so when you look at that, and then you listen to some of these guys out there hypothesizing on tree structure, and I just roll my eyes and shake my head, and I'll go, come on, dude. It does not retain any body heat. 
it's open to the elements of wind, sleet, snow, rain. And you look at the floors, and that's the big thing. When you crawl into a structure and you're in that structure for over 10 days, case in point, Naked and Afraid and other shows like that, Naked and Afraid especially, you notice that forest floor just turns to sand, or if it's rainy, turns mm-hmm. to mud. Yep. And you can see that it has one or two bipedal creatures and naked and afraid that tear that place up in no time. And then you have these tree structures which still has pine needles in there and little twigs and things like that. And someone's trying to hypothesize that this is the winter tree structure for a Sasquatch clan. I just roll my eyes and shake my head and go, come on, dude, study your anthropology. Study the indigenous people of the America, North America. And know that when you study deep into it, and I recommend reading Franz Boas, A Passage of Anthology. You're going to have to go to a library and get a reference book, or if it's online, find it from there because it's out of print. And if you do find a used copy, it's about $1,000. So go to your libraries, Franz Boas, A Passage of Anthology, and others, even Lewis and Clark journals. And when you read them, you will find that the Native woman, when they have female blood, menstrual cycle or birthing they will leave the tribe and go out to the forest and go through their menstruation cycle get and my tribe they had specific places where to put their i guess you'd say sanitary napkins we call them aid them they would have a specific place where they would be put usually a place where no hunter or harvester male is ever going to go ever that's how taboo it is for female blood to be or anything by males so sasquatches they have laws very strict laws they're feral humans yes or no we don't know but let's just go down that path in my belief they're feral humans they have very strict laws so in turn when the females go into their first menses an elder female will probably go out with them and show them how to go downwind of the camp that way you can always smell it If a cougar or a wolf pack or a grizzly or black bear comes to threaten you, you can always walk upwind smelling your clan where we're sleeping, staying. And then in turn, you could vocalize so that males could flank you and come get rid of the threat that chased you out of your little structure. Why were they in a structure that doesn't retain heat or combat the elements? Well, they don't need to. They have hair. They've evolved through evolution to be hairier, robust. You know, they're like what we used to once be when we were up in trees or knuckle dragon when we jumped out of the trees, our ancestors, if you believe in evolution. No offense to creationists. But anyway, those structures were for the other males of their Sasquatch clan and others that might be passing through that, oh, there's a teepee structure. There's a structure of branches. We can see it above the berry bushes and everything. Stop. We have to go upwind around the structure and continue on our path because it's taboo for us as males to be anywhere near female blood, be it menstrual cycle or giving birth. So we know that the Indian people, you see it in Hollywood movies from time to time, how the females would go out to the fringe of the horse camp or the teepee community and go into the roots, put a stick in their mouth, squat down, pop the baby and go back into the community Mm. after Mm. it's all cleaned up and so forth. So knowing anthrop 
psychological aspects of the indigenous people in North America, we know that we have strict laws, very strict laws. We still do to this day as the Sasquatch. And female menstrual and birthing blood is taboo to the males. You know, there's all kinds of reasons from the different tribes. I know my reason. I'm a Hamatsum from the secret society to Hamatsum, the Kwakwakiwak people. And, you know, back in the day, we weren't allowed to be anywhere near it. So that's one thing I look at is the anthropological path of the indigenous people, which correlates to the anthropological path and reasoning that we come up with the Sasquatch. Why would a Sasquatch stay in a tree structure that does not retain the heat or protect it from the elements? And yet others claim differently. Well, maybe they better start reading some books on the indigenous people of North America so that they can see, as I do, a little bit more clear what a tree structure is. And the other thing is don't waste your bloody time with them. You know, it's mm-hmm. one of the few, few times I've actually seen tree structures in my area. I went up to him and I thought, oh, you KG son of a gun. You didn't want me to go that way. You wanted me to go this way. <laughs> this is when I knew there were Sasquatches around my camp. So here you are building this tree structure that I come up this off my trail and I come across it. So now I walk away from this bluff to come look at this tree structure. And I'm sitting there scratching my head like a chimpanzee going, what's this tree structure doing here? I don't think there'd be a female on this island. It's only 247 acres. And he knows. They know that there's four of us on here that are all males. And then that's when I looked up at the bluff and I thought, oh, you cagey son of a gun. And I went Mm -hmm. back to that bluff and I went up that bluff. And there was a well-trampled area with with, uh, Douglas fir cones or whatever kind of pine cones they were. Mm -hmm. All You could tell it wasn't for a squirrel. They're big chunks broken off. It was sitting there nibbling away, squatting down or sitting on his butt watching my camp and the reason why they put that tree structure was to smoke screen me get me to go look at that structure instead of going up that bluff where i eventually would go and while i was up there what did i hear well i heard a tree being shook and i looked up the hill and there was a hemlock tree probably about that big in diameter being shook and then all of a sudden rock! and then you could hear something moving up the hill so in other wow. words i jig on it I showed him I had more well-developed frontal lobe than the average human out there in the bush. And that's what it means to be a Sasquatch investigator. You mm-hmm. got it crispy, as I say. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, uh, what about like free, like branch twists and like branch breaks? Do you have any insight or knowledge or. My experience uh, behind my Sasquatch investigation camp on Vancouver Island, my five cabins, that I bring people to. Uh, there's an old logging road that uh, hasn't been used in decades. The alder trees have matured up, so it's like a tunnel of branches. Mm-hmm. And as you're walking down it, you come to these little dips where there's moisture. And this time of the year with the rains, big puddles. And that's where I noticed a snap before the soft ground on either side. And when I walked, Upslope because they always want the advantage of observing by nose, eyes, and ears. Mm-hmm. That's where something was walking along logging road, comes to a soft spot, tree break, goes into the forest, 
circumvents, goes around the soft spot, comes back out on the hard pan, logging road again. Easy point A to B, except with a detour from to C to get around soft spots. But here there's tree breaks at the end of them. And then once I clued into that, I started to look at other areas where you have a logging splash. Because I do a lot of work in the forestry, is uh, and basically forestry work I do, whether it be working in uh, trees or uh, what do you call it? Uh, when people are doing surveys for the forest and I'm there as a wildlife protection officer or carrying gear. And there's oh, yeah. Things. But when I'm out there, we get to the ends of these logging roads and there's a log at the edge of the slash. And then I go in a bit, but you'll always notice that at the edge of a logging road or a logging slash that they're using, you will find a pronounced tree break with a twist or a tree break right off and thrown into the open area. So I think they're no different than when we are traveling through wherever and we come up to a signpost that says, that's the way to home. Or here's the name of my street that leads to my home. I think that's what a lot of the tree breaks I'm seeing on Vancouver Island and here in Washington state, when I go investigating here, cause I'm seeing it correlates. It's, equivalent to what's happening on Vancouver Island and on the mainland of, Bank of British Columbia where I investigate. And I've been up, you know, I'm a commercial fisherman, so I get up all through the coast. I've been up to Timbuk flipping nowhere in British Columbia. And I tell you, we ain't even hit the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Sasquatches in coastal British Columbia. You just Google Earth some of those inlets. Very few, if any, people up there. And there's some places I'm not going to give names because who knows if the men in black are listening, but there's some hot spots in British Columbia that I want to get to. And I know for a fact, cause I've been in there as a commercial fisherman. And, you know, I remember back in my early twenties sitting on my longline boat called nasty habits, great name, <laughs> but I was on deck with my crew and, you know, my two crewmen there smoking hoolies and I didn't smoke pot. I quit at 18, but I'm just sitting there having a pop or whatever coffee. It was uh, flat calm in our anchorage, and uh, the wind had died down because that's why we were anchored that day because we got winded off the water. But the wind had died right down. I was just finished telling the boys, "Oh, maybe we better go to sleep now, and that way we can leave about four hours before daylight and get fishing right again." And uh, no sooner did I say that, and all of a sudden we heard a big whooping scream up in the side of the bay, up on the and up in northern British Columbia's coast, the alpine starts in some places right at sea level. Other places, it might be a couple hundred feet of timber, and then alpine. It's just amazing, the islands up there, if you Google Earth it, up around just south of Prince Rupert, north of Clem 2. And anyway, we heard that whooping roar and scream, and then a tree knock. And then across from us, we heard another one on the other side. And I remember, you know, thinking i wonder what that is oh it must be hippies up there i guess we went to bed but it wasn't until last summer when i was traveling up there on a commercial seine boat with my cousin as a crewman and i went by that bay and i looked up at those alpine scrub hills and i thought i was no bloody hippie we heard that time times too that was sasquatch i gotta get up there and investigate that's uh that's interesting um so I wanted to ask you, uh, you're, you talked about 
Sorry, I think my phone was too close to my microphone. Um, you talked earlier about, so with, uh, what started this whole thing for me was a sighting that I had that I believe was a juvenile that I, that I saw peeking at me from behind a tree about 20, 20 feet away. Uh, I was by myself at a camp in the mountain national forest. And, uh, when I saw it, its lips were pursed and that sticks out in my mind. And then shortly after I learned about the native, uh, mask with the lips pursed out, um, and I'm curious if there's any sort of maybe you can give me some insight into the pursed lips is what I guess what I'm getting at. So this is a template cardboard side profile of uh that I'm gonna be making here in the next few days. See the pursed lips? Oh yeah. That's an Indian's point. Hey, I'm going that way. That's what pursed lips are. No, I'm just kidding. That's one of the jokes about Indians in North America. <laughs> Look at, uh, what do you call it? Burnstick. He's an Indian comedian from Canada. Okay. <laughs> he does a pointed lip thing. It's just hilarious. But aside from the joking and all that, purse lip, Sasquatch. Oh, we see that. Chuno. Yes. Purse lip. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Mm. On my shirt, I have other T-shirt designs that has a whooping one like that. Nope, don't have it available. But anyway, they're whooping. That's how they communicate back and forth. Hey, it's like walking in a bar. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Buddy over by the pool tables. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Get a couple tequila when you come over here. So that's what they're doing, vocalizing that I'm here uh, or I'm harvesting here. I don't want anyone else here. So it's a form of communication. And the pursed lips also, you know, then I hear about juvenile ones, especially that purse their lips. And I've seen quite a few. And one of the big things about a Sasquatch, when in doubt, throw it out. When you see a picture, the first thing I look at is this area, the filtrum mm-hmm. area, the distance between the upper lip and the bottom of the nose. If it's pinky or finger width, throw it out. It's a mask. It's a human. Mm-hmm. Case in point, Todd Standings Muppet. But when you see that huge pronounced distance between the base of the nose and the top of the lip, that filtrum area, what I call a pronounced filtrum area, well, what's that made for? Ooh, and you see that big pucker. So what is a trumpet? It's a big pucker to make a loud mm-hmm. noise. It's one of the louder horns out there. So it's you seeing that juvenile Sasquatch. To me, number one, was it a bukwus, the small bipedal hair-covered creature, or was it a juvenile Sasquatch? We don't know. But with the puckered lips, I'm speculating that it was a juvenile Sasquatch. And what's the first thing a Sasquatch has to do? They have laws, very strict laws. They have harvesters, which are your females and your elderly and sick. They have hunters, which are probably your what we would call late teen to early adolescent, mid-adolescent. You have your um, scouts, and then you have your rogues. So those are the four four social tiers of a Sasquatch clan. So if a juvenile is out there, it's a juvenile. It's in that probably harvester area. I don't think it would have, that's being small, I don't think it would have been a scout or a hunter definitely not a rogue because it was big enough or mean enough. Otherwise you'd be a steaming coiler out there. 
but puckered lips. It sees you. First thing it does is it puts its finger on the button on the air horn when you see a bear. You don't just squeeze it. You watch the bear. If the bear is a threat, then you squeeze the button. You put your finger on the trigger side. If all of a sudden that perceived threat is becoming a threat, you put your finger on the trigger and you get ready to squeeze multiple times. So the puckered lips, I think, is its finger on the trigger. We're ready to go. If this thing that I perceive as a threat becomes a threat, the first thing I got to do is whoop, whoop, make the alarm call, tree smack, and DD the hell out of there. But at least everyone else has got the warning. The whoop, whoop, high vocalization, and the tree smack, alarm, alarm, alarm. You know, And that's what I think that young Sasquatch was doing for you. And you'll see that with a lot of, I seen a picture, a real crispy, clear picture of wasn't a, what I'm accustomed to as a Sasquatch, but it was definitely a cross between a human and a Sasquatch. And I saw it at Beachfoot in 2017. And if, I won't say his name, but he showed me on his cell phone a picture that his friend gave to him, to, but he wasn't allowed to publish it. And my God, that thing had some serious puckered lips going on. Yeah, that's uh, that's what cements the fact that uh, uh, one of the things that cements the fact that I know that I know I know what I saw because I've never thought about this until you just said something. But I think that's what stuck out that I'm just now realizing that, that was weird because the space between the nose and the lip, like what you're talking about, it was. I don't. I can't distinctly tell you it was two finger widths apart or whatever but i can tell you it was way wider than i have big fingers it was way wider than any of my fingers could have been so that's that's very interesting um and thank you for answering that that kind of helped put a bunch of stuff into perspective for me yeah and uh 2012 when i come shooting out of big huge six foot high pile of alder leaves that i'd put in a big pile and i put the jig meaning i turn the table on it sub-adult teenager Sasquatch that was being trained to probe my camp, was probing my camp, stealing my apples and my garlic cloves. Yeah, I remember, I'm out in the bush. I'm eating a lot of crab and a lot of prawns and shrimp. I need my garlic. It's valuable. And there the bloody Sasquatch is pilfering it off me. So I snuck out of the cabin for a dart, crawled into this pile of leaves by being very sneaky. I remember I'm a hunting guide, so I know how to be sneaky. And in full camo with my firearm on my chest, peeking out of leaves covering everything this sasquatch come out and it was like an old skitter trail so it's like a five four or five foot high berm that it grabs this alder tree with its left hand and it steps down with its right leg down this four or five foot bank onto the old road which is my path to my outhouse and to my cabin and all of a sudden at uh, probably six to eight feet i come shooting out of the leaves going hey what are you doing and the sasquatch just looked at me his eyes went huge and first thing i noticed was a fear and i you know i almost felt like going wow you got a big philtrum because it was so huge and then all of a sudden he just Rah! and he had a puckered lip roar and he pulled the tree and he jumped up the bank and he's Rah! Rah! you could tell he's pissed off he's like this is not supposed to happen and he storms off into the bush and i went back in the cabin laughing my poor native guy that cousin that was helping me out there just about peed his pants quit picking on the sasquatches i'm not picking it on it i'm trying to get a message across 
leave my damn garlic alone. I want to eat it with my crab, for God's sake. So at that point, though, when I came, came out of those leaves, I remembered pronounced Feltrum. And I was that close. Wow. Wow. Um, that is, wow. I don't even see. That's, yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm just speechless. I don't, I don't even know what to say to that. Um, it's just, they're just feral humans. Respect yeah. them, but at the same yeah. turn, we respect our fellow humans. But if someone shows disrespect and starts thieving off you, you got to make a stand. Yes. You're not going to shoot them. You know, you never do that. But popping out of leaves did the trick pretty good. You know, well, my garlic yeah. and my apples after that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can, I can kind of relate to what you're talking about. Because at one point last summer, I believe it was. Um, and if I didn't have my buddy with me, I would have thought I was going absolutely crazy. Um, I set up a little camp and uh, um, uh, in a spot where. Uh, I go to the North American Bigfoot Center with Cliff Berkman's um, Bigfoot Museum uh, quite a bit. And he had told me about the spot that I went to, or he told me about the spot. So I went to it hoping to get something. And I had my buddy with me and we found a spot where now this is all hypothesized. I don't know for a fact that it was a quote unquote stick break, um, but it coincided right in an area where there was like a intersection of game trails, multiple. And uh, so I documented it and cut it off the tree and put it in a bag. And that night I had experienced um, what sounded like bowling balls hitting the ground, uh, uh, followed by something um, pushing in on the tent wall on my tent and touching my arm. Um, and I, I've always hypo- hypothesized it was like, hey, buddy, you're messing with my shit. Stop messing with us. Um, but uh, who's to know who's to say who's to say that i even that was a real that wasn't just some stick that a deer broke off walking past you know human touching i look at a different way and i learned that three years ago in uh, my uh, sasquatch island minnesota chapter president uh andre oliver um he's an african-american really muscular young man probably six foot two like he's linebacker like that's how he looks mm. and you know, so anyway he comes out first expedition we weren't friends yet we just he came out as a client from minnesota flew into seattle and i brought him up to concrete area uh craig yanni with the oh, yeah. northwest sasquatch investigation research group yes. he brought us up there too because it's one of his areas and respect i'm not going to go trampling in someone else's turf unless they bring me in there like craig did Mm-hmm. and set us up and you know it's, it's just protocol you know it's being a good human so anyway we go up there and this is a week two weeks before the spring long weekend when they open up these forest service camps so all the forest service camps where the outhouses are and picnic tables are all locked gates we found one along this river and that craig knew and outhouse was locked but gave us a place to park off the busy what we thought was a busy highway which wasn't at all and uh, we set up two tents. Craig stayed with us eating smuggled smoky dogs I brought in from Canada. They're great. They're like uh, uh, brat, but way better. Smoky Yum. And uh, we had those and we had fun. Craig's like, I got to go home. Got to work tomorrow morning. Have a good night, guys. Takes off. One of the tents, I forgot the 
Paul, you got to remember, I didn't stay in a tent until I got with Peggy some 13 years ago. I'd never lived, stayed in a tent. I just couldn't do it. I have to look and see and smell. I guess I'm rogue. But anyway, we got these tents set up. And the one Craig, um, Andre is going to sleep in. It's all caving in. And mine, because I forgot the same thing, it's caving in on one side. And I could tell Andre, he was scared. He's like, you, you don't mind if I just sleep in your tent with you? And I'm like, no, 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 it's all right. It's cool. You got to remember, I'm the investigator guide, mm -hmm. and he's paying for this. So I'm like, oh, no, no, it's cool. So about two in the morning, I got up. I don't wake up in bush unless there's a reason Tom got to wake up. Mm -hmm. Bathroom break or something make me wake up. So I get up. And instead of sitting there cowering, right away I just unzip the thing and poof, shoot out of the tent. Boom, hit the flashlight, smelling, looking, listening, nothing. But I got a faint odor, something that just was there. And it was mm -hmm. pungent, human odor times 20 stink pungent. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, they're always around, whatever. And, you know, probably the only ones camped out here. So I go back in the tent, go back to sleep. Wake up in the morning, Andre's still sleeping away, so I crawl out, get the coffee going, because I gotta have my coffee right now. And uh Andre comes out. He's like, I had the weirdest dream. I dreamt something grabbed my face. Well, I jump up with my coffee and right away I start tracking. I'm like, Andre, don't go walk around the camp. You can go bathroom, go pee off the riverbank there, but don't walk until I'm truth in it. And after about five minutes, I'm like, Andre, you better come up here with me. And we tracked and found where two Sasquatches had walked down the river, uh, the landslide area that has a creek and a bridge on the highway. And we heard two vehicles that whole night, by the way. That's how dead this area is up east of concrete in the loop highway area. And it came down that bank. You could see footprints, not good enough to cast or anything, but they had gone up this bank through the bushes paralleling above our camp across the highway going down getting to a boulder grabbing a tree and you can see the handprints in the moss and then going behind this big boulder across from our outhouse and where we're, our two tents are and you can see the hand impressions on the on the rock with the moss i got pictures of all this walks across the highway and you can see where it walked the, one of them walked above the edge of the highway looking three, four feet down where we're camped, but it's snapping sword ferns because they're just fresh in end of May and it must have been eating them and you'd see the footprints in the grass and the other one went behind the outhouse, which would have been downwind of us and then the both of them just wandered off up road, up river. And I looked at Andre and I said, uh, that wasn't a dream. You got grabbed by a Sasquatch last night. <laughs> and he goes, why would they do that? I'm like, think about it, Andre. I said, we're the only two crazy humans out here right now. We never seen anyone else camping. It's midweek. No one's going to be here. And you're a Jotham. In my language, that means you're a black fella. I yep. said, we call them the black faces, Sasquatch. You can you imagine them coming down the hill and sitting there? Because we could see where they're possibly sitting there for a couple, three hours watching us and probably going hey i bet you a trout that you can't sneak down and grab that black fella by the face while he's sleeping i'll take that bet but it's two trout you know it could be that easy that they're just curious they're betting mm -hmm. one of them 
we're humans. I bet all the time. I bet you I can get a bigger fish. I bet I can do this. I bet I can walk up to that bear in the cherry tree and slap the nest and it won't hit me. We used to do that when we were young guys in that abandoned native village. So jest, jocularity, laugh. You know, you look at a Sasquatch, the way the Junoko master, they got these big laugh lines on it. They must have fun laughing. We hear the vocalizations where they're chattering away and don't get me into that samurai chatter at bunk. But you, we hear the vocalizations of chattering. It sounds like they're having fun. They're laughing. We've heard the vocalizations of one humming. We've heard one of one singing. We've heard them vocalizing where they're posturing to one another. So to them, having laws, very strict laws, culture and language would also mean jest. They have humor. And when I brought out Andre, maybe it was just simplicity, a bet. I bet you can't go grab that black fellow while he's sleeping. Okay, I'll take that challenge. And I hear that so many times. You just told me about how you were touched. Mm-hmm. How many times have we heard that? People in tents getting touched. People in campers getting shook all over the place. Mm-hmm. Probably two Sasquatches peeing themselves, laughing in the bush, uh, knowing that there's some scared-ass Cuban because they got grabbed in the tent or their trailer got shook all over the place. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. Because <laughs> if they really wanted to make us a steaming coiler in the bush, they would have torn open that tent and ate that person or flipped that camper, ripped the wall off, and eaten that camper. Hunter. Mm-hmm. So to me, I think it's just they're having fun with it. Hmm. So what do you, what's your, you know, there's, there's lots of, uh, speculation out there, uh, postulation that, um, Sasquatch, which would mean to believe this would mean you would believe in the the ape ideology of them, but what's your idea of them swinging or, or even just traveling in trees? Well, for a, Adolescent, I remember climbing trees with climbing spurs because mm-hmm. I ran a landscaping groundskeeping company, so it was my job. But I remember doing it just to have fun. I remember as a kid climbing trees in Alert Bay. It was in your buddies would chop it down and <laughs> you'd come crashing down on an alder tree that was like four inches thick at the base. But fun, you know, so you're young, full of piss and vinegar. You can mm-hmm. swing in a tree, you can have, you know, Look at young everything. You know, they'll jump and play and swing from something just because it's there. And, you know, I don't, and that's where you got to look at that. Once again, you got to use those frontal lobe development of yours and say, if they are feral human, where there were humans thousands of years ago that were sitting there like the gods and must be crazy, the 1980s comedy where this airplane goes overhead, uh, non Indigenous person from South Africa throws an empty Coke bottle out the window of the plane. It goes whoop, 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 lands in the desert and it's found. And the hunter brings it back to his bush person's society, family clan. And all of a sudden, that empty Coke bottle creates animosity, jealousy, hate, violence, you name it. Where he said, the gods must be crazy to send us this empty Coke bottle. I'm bringing it to the ends of the world and throwing it back to the gods. Because they must be crazy for disrupting my clan. like, mm. And that's what he did. Well, Sasquatch is, you know, I think they're the, you got you look at the gods must be crazy and not them. So thousands of years ago, there was humans that thousands of years prior jumped out of trees, quit dragging their knuckles on the ground, 
mm-hmm. started to wear the hides from the animals and all of a sudden began to hit stones together to make arrowheads, spearheads, apples, whatever you call those spears and spears and you name it. And all of a sudden, 90 degree corners came in big houses, long houses, teepee structures, tule huts, earth houses. And all of a sudden, because they weren't so much hunter gatherers anymore in some areas, especially on the coastal areas and along the Great Lakes and rivers, those indigenous tribes started to expand their society, their culture. They had leisure time. They weren't always groveling for that grub or that berry. And all of a sudden, animosity, hate, jealousy, and everything we have in our society to this day, go mm. figure. Did we progress mm. as a species? I think we've regressed, even, even regressing to wearing tribal tattoos and piercing our ears and putting bones in our nose nowadays, for God's sake. Yeah. But that's what happened to the, the humans back then. Some of the chiefs looked at their wives and said, this is BS. Our daughters gossiping constantly about every other person in this tribe our son you know he's queer in a three dollar bill and you know that's not right you know and that's the way it was I'm not saying it's judging it nowadays but back in the day homosexuality yeah. looked a lot differently and you definitely yeah. wouldn't be chief in my tribe if you're a queer in a three dollar bill but then all of the other bads that came in the hate the fear the warfare jealousy animosity you name it I think the chief, after talking to his wife, said to the family, look, this is BS. Me and your mother, as a chief of our clan, we're going into the forest and getting away from the society here. And we're going to live more in tune with nature as Ekekekame, the creator, intended. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they did. But after a while, they lose their fire starter. They don't want to make another one. They lost their broken their bows and arrows and knives. And pretty soon, maybe they said, look, we're better off without those things. But Ike Gekame, or whatever you call your creator, God, whatever, I call him Ike Gekame, the creator, but is God, but takes care of everything. A pig goes wild. It's no longer pink and blonde and all nice. It gets cut husks. It gets black and brown hair. It gets bigger. It gets meaner. And it'll rip your guts out of it. You gave it a chance. It's no longer your pet piggy no more. You do, you release your dog on the Indian Reserve, even though he's got a $30 collar. He runs with the wild res dogs two weeks later. I don't care what that cost that collar is and how much you love your doggy. He's gone feral. He's wild now. He never can come back for his bowl in his bed. So nature's God takes care of everything. So when those humans went and left the cities, and not cities, but the society, their villages, their clans, Mm -hmm. They went back to an existence more one-on-one of nature. They got bigger. They got hairier. And because they're a threat now to the humans without hair, the humans of the day, us, and we don't want them going into our berry patches, our hunting grounds, our shellfish beaches, our fishing sites, we attack them with our weapons and our fire and our mass. And once again, they progress to a different level of existence than the daylight humans, us. They become the humans of the night. God gives them nocturnal vision. And that's why Sasquatches are most active at night, why they're bigger and more hairier to me. I'm not telling everyone to believe me. I'm just saying, this is, you want my opinion? You're listening to this podcast. Well, now you got it. 
they're feral human. That's why when Ketchum and everyone else comes out with DNA and people go, oh, what do you think of DNA, Tom? Oh, don't you worry. Another 10 years from now, someone with a capital D, small r period before their name and alphabet soup and letters after a name is going to come out with a new theory and say that everything from DNA from 2022 and beyond was complete bunk and is irrelevant now. So don't even follow DNA. Let the scientists do their damn thing. Concentrate on crispy pictures and videos. And that's where I'm at with DNA. But the DNA always shows contaminated by human, close to human, human chromosome, human this and that. They're humans. Go talk to an Indian. He'll tell you that. They're the other tribe. Um, well, how I was gonna ask, how uh, I don't want an ex, you know, I I hope this doesn't get too personal. How far away is hope from you, Hope, British Columbia? Are you a ways away? Are you pretty uh, within proximity close? Well, I'm in Kent, Washington right now, so I'm just south of Seattle, half an hour. Yeah, but if I was on Vancouver Island as crow flies, I gotta take a ferry with that across the mainland and then from there about an hour and a half from the ferry terminals vancouver to hope okay okay well i i asked because um i've been looking into and i haven't been able to satisfy this or figure this out which is why i'm hoping to get answer from you the sasquatch caves <clears throat> that are there is there is that kind of like a just a white man's tourist trap or is there actually like uh, indigenous meaning behind this, the area, do you know? Oh, big time. With the Shealist people up there? Yeah, no, they have stories that go back to pre-contact that that was where the other tribe Sasquatches were. I've been there. Geologically, great Sasquatch habitation. Um, archaeologically speaking, there was some uh, carbon found in there, meaning fires were in there. Could have been the ancestors of the Shealis or Sasquatch. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But as, from the stories I've heard about it prior to the Asian tour buses, <laughs> yeah, it was a, <laughs> a, a habitation for Sasquatches because it, it's like a stone's throw from the Fraser River and a tributary with a bunch of salmon that spawned in there this time of year. And then you had the plains there. That's the edge of the uh, Fraser River Delta plain. So it would have been lush and crab, wild crab apples and berries and roots and tubers, ducks, um, rodents, you name it, ungulates. So yeah, it's, uh, being there and looking at it from a Sasquatch's perspective, yeah, it would have been a great home back before the Asian tour buses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you for answering that. I didn't, that, yeah, I was looking for something, but there isn't too much on Sasquatch caves. So, I was... so one, of the, one of the things I'm noticing with you you like going into the pubic hair of North America, Sasquatch Island, what we call the rhubarb patch. Don't waste your time. The only ones who came up spades going into the rhubarb was Bob Gimlin and Roger Patterson, 1967, Bluff Creek, California. Over 40 years later, who has really gotten crispy video of the Sasquatch, even with the stabilization software we have out there? No one. It's, it's, they're all iffy, you know, Patty is so, if you've seen a Sasquatch in the Pacific Northwest, that's Patty, you've seen it. And if you look at Patty and you look at what my 
ancestors were carving on their totem poles and masks depicting Sasquatch showing up. Yeah, Roger and Bob, they came up spades. Freeman, when in doubt, throw it out. The hair's too spiky. It's all over the place, like synthetic. Mm-hmm. You look at chimpanzees, orangutans, mountain gorillas, monkeys. Tom, after he's been 10 days or more in the forest, hair is all flat and oily <laughs> and well-groomed on the monkeys and other primates. Mm-hmm. So the Freeman footage, to me, it's too synthetic, and I don't believe it's the real deal. And mm-hmm. I can sit here and chisel a few others, but I'm not going to do that, other than Todd Standing, once again. Don't believe <laughs> that. <laughs> but they, well, I mean, I've met him in person, by the way, and, and I don't mind ribbing someone if they don't like it. Oh, let's go eye to eye and talk no. about it and have a beer together and laugh. If not, let's go behind the conference hall to the dumpsters and let's dance. You know, whatever. Take well, it. Life, if there's, Don't get if your there's, underwear. That's right. If there's but, one uh, thing I'm... Go ahead. But with rhubarb, what I'm getting at, you know, we're coming up. We got some blurry, some really good blurry stuff. Blurs and videos, and stills and trail camera stuff. We don't have the crispy yet, but we're coming up spades because my investigation group with Sasquatch Island, and if you want to be a chapter member from a state or a province, whatever, give me a shout and I'll be happy to talk, walk you through it, be one. But I teach everyone what to do. Number one, don't go in the pubic patch. Don't go into the rhubarb. Stay out of the forest. Go to the edge. Go to the fields, the meadows, the alpines, the farm fields, the rivers, the riverbanks, the beaches that are exposed at low tide that are just filled with shellfish and other proteins. That's where you're going to get your Bob Gimlin, Roger Patterson film. So going into the forest, and tree knocking, God forbid, don't do that. BFRO, it stands for Bank Forest Research Organization. Why the hell would you bang on a tree to try to see Sasquatch when you're telling them, stop, turn around, go back where you came from. I don't want you here. That's what a tree knock is for a Sasquatch. So why the hell would you as a hairless human do that if you want to see Sasquatch? You know, BFRO, Bank Forest Research Organization, how many years they've been going? Where's their crispy videos? You know, I'm not dissing everyone. I'm basically giving everyone a kick in the ass of reality that you got to start using your frontal lobes here if you want to bag and tag a Sasquatch with video and with pictures or have that Jane Goodall, Diane Fossey interaction moment because the path people have been going with this tree knock and going into the rhubarb ain't working. And it's been almost 20 years. I've, trust me, I've been following on TV, you know, and mm-hmm. reading books. But the ones that are out there in those open areas, the hikers and the alpines, Mm-hmm. The people using spotting scopes, looking for elk and mountain goat and dull sheep on the open expanses of Alpine and seeing Sasquatches. The people rolling rocks down Mount Hood on an open scree yeah. area. All of a sudden, a big Sasquatch stands up and runs into the rhubarb. Yeah. What do we always see about Sasquatch? Them running into the rhubarb. Yeah. Why would you go into the rhubarb? You're never going to find them. They're the world's greatest hide-and-seek champion. If you're going to bag and tag them, put the jig on them, pop out of a pile of leaves and look at their pronounced filtrum, you're going to have to be in the open. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm trying to be 55 years old at 56 now. As an Indian, I'm considered an elder. So as an elder, I'm sharing with everyone through Sasquatch Island and podcasts and videocasts. Just giving you some advice. My knees are gone and getting worse. Um, mm-hmm diabetic i'm on a serious diet i've just dumped almost 35 pounds because i got to be healthier i'm tits up and six foot under but my 
time of being able to go into the bush and go up mountains, cross ice fields, through the alpine and down a forest and across an inlet, across a river and up another mountain, through the alpine, across an ice field and down again. I think those days are over. And, you know, but so my investigating now, I'm sort of pulled in, but at the edge of the rhubarb, I'm studying the urban Sasquatch, the ones that, that come into our stables, chicken coop, feed hmm. shed, dogfish dishes, compost piles, fruit trees, gardens, greenhouses, dump green boxes for our biodegradable refuse. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm studying. Because when we're sitting there at the edge of the rhubarb in the fields and the side roads, and all of a sudden all the TVs go off and all the lights go off in the bedroom, all of a sudden we hear <laughs> and crack, crack, crack. And then all of a sudden a flur image, oh, shit. Went behind the barn. Uh, how come all the cows are sleeping by the road instead of over there by the trees? Notice <laughs> that the cows never sleep by the trees; they're always sleeping by the road. Yeah, and yeah. we're finding a lot of activity here in the Edomclaw Buckley area of Washington State at the edge of the urban setting, out of the rhubarb. I'll be I'll be in Buckley this weekend. Well, give me a shout. Let's go up there. I'll show you where to go. I got to put. So I got six trail cameras with me. I got to set up. I'm serious, man. I, I got my buddy's engagement party on Saturday at, I think, 9 a.m. to 1 o'clock. And then I'm there Thursday through Sunday. So, well, shit. Let's get out there and do it. There's a place in Edom Club, Buckley, man. It's like I've been telling Peggy because I want to, number one, I want to get some chanterelle mushrooms. Mm-hmm. But also, I want to set some trail cameras up there for the fall. Yeah. And it's on like Donkey Kong down there. Well, if you're serious, I'll 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 shoot I'll shoot you an email and we'll exchange phone numbers and whatnot, and uh, I'll text message you or call you when I get into town. And that goes for all of you listeners, you know, pitter patter. Let's get at her. I'm in Washington State, and for you who are in Canada, I'll be up there in another three weeks or so. But I'm back and forth. I'm Indian. There's no border, and with COVID, I can go back and forth. But yeah, if you want to do an investigation with me, yes, I do charge. You know, it costs money for gas and Marlboro cigarettes and what do you call it? export smooth up in Canada and plus you know flurs and everything else it's I used to be the pioneer grizzly bear whale watching and sea kayaking in British Columbia waters I've been a Indian guide for some going on 30 plus years so sasquatching is just another critter I take people out to hopefully see and I've had a few guests clients see the sasquatch with me so as Buddy here is going to do it with me this weekend in Enum Club Buckley. You too can yeah. do it anytime you want. Give me a shout. I just we just talk about it and then we book the time and let's go pitter patter. Let's get at her and bag and tag a Sasquatch with a video camera. Yeah, and uh, listeners, make sure make sure you you actually do that. That's that is a great opportunity that that was just offered to you. So <laughs> Add Sasquatch Island on Facebook to, and don't just go join it. You know. Go to have a bathroom break, grab a beverage, sit down, scroll, watch, listen, read. You're going to be amazed. Sasquatch Island has very limited repetitive posts. Most of them I'm putting on there. And it's basically the guidebook, how to get a interact uh, up close encounter with a Sasquatch. Decades of experience. And not just mine. I reach out to all kinds of bushers, native, non-native, you name it. And uh, that's what it's all about. Um, you know, it's not about my ego and oh it's hi i'm tom seawood get a selfie with me it's not about that it's about hopefully with what you hear from me read from me see that i post realize the seasonal proteins in your region reach out to your local indians do everything i'm telling you 
it will increase your chances of getting close to a Sasquatch. You know, I'll guarantee it because, you know, it seems to be working with me. Mm. Oh, by the way, for you skeptics out there going, well, okay, there's a crispy picture. Me and Ali Stevens, who runs the Facebook group and YouTube channel, Seasons of the Sasquatch, he just threw in $1,000 and I just threw in seven fifty of my money last week and Amazon Prime will be delivering at this place in Kent, Washington on Friday, uh, $1,750 Nikon P1000-something. It's basically a Nikon with a built-in zoom lens and you can zoom right oh. in and see the potholes up on the moon, apparently. So wow. this thing, white man's magic. No offense to the non-Indians out there. <laughs> when we're thoroughly impressed this thing rocks and this thing is designed for me to be somewhere to look up and hopefully bag and tag a sasquatch and get a little bit of blur in it but you know hopefully get a crispy one too if they're within three four hundred yards nice <laughs> that's awesome that's why i charge for my expeditions and tours bloody nikon <laughs> camera expensive <laughs> um i was i had one more question i was hoping you'd uh You'd uh, send us off with, um, I heard on one of your interviews, a story involving Adam Davies during one of your expeditions or research, uh, investigative trips. Um, would you, uh, if you wouldn't mind, would you mind going into that trip with Adam with, for us? Yeah, that was with uh, Stephen Major put that together, you know, with uh, Pacific Northwest whatever it's called. Oh, he's going to kill me. I can't remember the name. Uh, <laughs> Extreme Expeditions Northwest. There it is. Sorry, yep. Major. But anyway, Stephen wanted to come out because he'd heard me and yada, yada, yada. So he rented my buddy's yacht out of uh, Campbell River and he brought up Adam Davies. I, in all honesty, I didn't even know who Adam Davies was until he came yeah. out. Yeah. Here he's got books and he goes to all the conferences and he was the guy that found the track in the Himalayas for Josh Gates of uh, Expedition Unknown. And that right away, I said, oh, you're Adam Davies. Yeah, I think I saw you on that show. It was a little two-second party ad. But anyway, he found the track. So we get on the boat in Campbell River, and we head out two hours up, dark. We had to make the narrows, Seymour Narrows, big tide area. Anyway, we shot through, pulled in this anchorage, which I didn't expect in Sasquatch, dropped the anchor. And uh, we all went up onto the top deck of this, 50 some odd foot yacht beautiful yacht and uh <laughs> we're all smoking cigarettes and doing our thing outside and we had the camera man luke he's a young fella luke connor victoria williams my producer wild woman media she's a youngin and her cousin amanda and then peggy my wife and she acts like she's in her 20s anyway and adam and myself were up on the top deck and i'm smoking my cigarette and all of a sudden i go adam make a sound like a Sasquatch. He goes, well, Tom, this is a mountain gorilla from the Congo. This is what they do. And after they do the roar, I'm not going to do it because they urinate themselves. And all of a sudden he goes, oh, 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 oh. that's his big gorilla scream. I'm just like, wow, oh. lungs on him. And all of a sudden he shuts up and all of a sudden you hear on the hill. Oh, and it's just like, oh my god you're here <laughs> and so you know you know go you just drop the anchor it's dark it's winter time a little bit of moon a lot of clouds just finished raining you're not gonna go stink up the beach so we all you know go down the galley start having a few drinks go to bed and then uh, next morning we go to the beaches and lo and behold 
each side of that small inlet, because that's what it's called, basically mm-hmm. a big long bay, are broken cockle, shell, cockle shells, shellfish with meat still sticking to the shell. And I'm like, we look in the snow up in the bush and uh, nothing, of course, as they never walk in snow. And we look around, we go back to the boat. And then that evening we go ashore about half, 45 minutes before dark. It's almost a one foot low tide, a big low tide. As soon as we get out, all of a sudden, I like grab Adam. Adam, what are you doing? Look down below you. And there's big footprints in the sand of a shellfish beach. And we're finding where there's been scrape holes from possibly the night or two nights before where something scraped looking for shellfish. And, you know, basically Adam and I went, wow. And then we possibly caught some eye shine and heard something. We all go back to the yacht. Tide's rising now. We left when the tide was starting to rise. And it's dark. We get to the boat. We have dinner. And then uh, all of a sudden we start drinking again. And the captain, Ron Williams, has a strict rule. Once you go or crack a wine cap, that's it. You're not allowed out on the boats. If you're going to go climbing on the dock or deck, if you are at a dock, you're going to have a life vest on. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we're on the galley. It's kind of, you know, whatever. Adam goes out to have a smoke and about 1030 because I recorded that. And uh, all of a sudden he opens the door and he looks into the galley. We're all talking. Girls are twittering and chirping, laughing. He goes, Tom, come out here. You want to look at this? So I go out and I grab the Fleur Scout 2 and pull it up my eye. And lo and behold, a boomer out on the beach. All the shellfish beach is covered now. It's half tide rising. So it's slope beach like that. And there's this big bloody Fleur hit. And all of a sudden it stands up and it's bipedal Fleur hit. And I'm thinking that thing is bloody big because that's got to be 350 yards away. And, uh, and Adam grabs it. Everyone on the boat grabbed it. I had the wherewithal to grab that um, Fleur Scout. Give me that. When they gave it to me, I put my cell phone on the site and I could Mm. see on my display and Mm -hmm. I recorded. But the Fleur was also recording on the data chip. So anyway, we looked at everything after this thing disappeared in the bush after we got, I think it was 16 or 23 minutes of Fleur of this, basically a blur squat on Fleur. And, uh, man, pretty damning. It, it was definitely next day. We went next night, next day we went in there and me and Adam, tra- I found the tracks and then Adam and I agreed that because he's a tracker, he's pretty good. Not as good as me though. Cause <laughs> but anyway, just digging at him. And anyway, we both agreed that there was two Sasquatches possibly that walked up for us. We got pictures of all that. It's on Sasquatch Island. If not, Email me. I'll be happy to share it with you on a new post about uh, mm-hmm. that trip with Stephen Majors from Extreme Expeditions Northwest when he brought Adam Davies in. But Adam's a no bullshit kind of guy. Like, you know, I've been with him to yeah. Preacher Weekend in uh, uh, Salt Fork Park, Ohio. And, uh, you know, we had, some, we had great times. Me, him, and Todd Neese and uh, our good friend who was the serpent. Investigators there that uh, Scott Martis who passed away actually got the brochure from Creature Weekend right there. And Scott Martis is in there. He passed away a few months ago, but man, we had fun out there. And Adam is a real good character. We, I was with Adam. I can honestly go to my grave now and say I was with Adam Davies. We pegged and pegged the Sasquatch with Stephen Majors and my wife and others. It was pretty good. And uh, 
we Adam brought Adam there to the beach next night with my wife and uh, Zodiac. And uh, Adam had the 12 gauge. He was going to go in to be our truther. So we had a human flur hit image at the same place. We saw the Sasquatch with the boat anchored out. We repositioned it because we went out for a ride one day. But anyway, we were going to duplicate what we saw for size correlation on the original Sasquatch. We flurred and recorded, but it was drizzling too much. But when Sas- when Adam got off the beach, all of a sudden he called me, Tom, come get me, come get me. We went in there and Adam goes, that goddamn thing roared at me. It was like eight feet away. And as I'm spotlighting up and trying to get Adam in the boat, my wife's helping him. I saw a tree peak, basically my t-shirt. I saw one mm-hmm. go, whoop, whoop, the one that roared at Adam. So mm-hmm. we had a good night. There was a lot of excitement. We did three days of investigating, tracking. We saw all kinds of things. What it was doing on the beach, half died rising when it was like that. It was smashing chitin, which are limpets or Chinese hats that are a type of uh, mollusk, I think they call them. Hmm. Anyway, they're like an abalone and they stick to the rocks. But all the ones that were the size of a silver dollar or bigger were missing from the rocks where we saw that Sasquatch. And only the ones the size of your pinky nail were remaining. So that Sasquatch was harvesting Chinese hat, a.k.a. limpets, at half tide rising. Up until that point, I had never known. You can go to Sasquatch Island now and see where I've done other investigations and found areas where they've been eating Chinese hats and Chinese slippers. Because most people think Sasquatch, they eat fruit, they eat corn, they eat deer, they eat hogs because they're from Texas. No, you look at what they eat. The Missouri River around Omaha, Nebraska, Indian Reservation, has 26 different bivalves in that river mud that's shellfish that's clams and mussel i didn't know that till i got there and i was trying to figure out what these there's some oh a whole new episode sasquatch is omaha indian reserve i tell you man i was scared i was enthralled i was intrigued i was terrified of the rattlesnakes but man i saw some sasquatch down there i tell you and uh, but that's a whole different podcast the other one i want to do with you is rogues we recorded yes. as we both know and it didn't record and tonight i'll know we just went phew, right out there in left field on sasquatch we didn't get the rogues but call me on again let's do a rogue one i was about to say i would that's actually i meant to cover that but we're at uh we're getting it short on time so I'll, i want to have you back on uh, oh yeah no get me on you know reach out to your listeners and you guys that are listening to me chatter chatter like a sasquatch i'm not full of bs i know what i'm talking about if you want to hear more whether it be rogues or uh omaha encounters up in the northwest territories british columbia other things i've experienced you name it just reach out to and i can't remember your name (laughs) i'm tyler reach out to tyler and tell him to get tom back on we like listening to him and i'll gladly come back on awesome well, yeah, that and that brings me. Uh, I know you were just you be earlier in the show you you touched on them and just now, but go ahead and uh, want to give you a chance to plug all your social media, your, your Sasquatch Island, your expeditions, all that stuff in one Basically, big giant list. Sasquatch Island YouTube channel, Facebook group, the main one, website. Which don't waste your time on it unless you need to get my email and read a little bit about me on what we do. Uh, Seasons of the Sasquatch YouTube channel and Facebook. I work with Ali Steven on that. We're doing some uh, television production and a lot of investigating. 
And then, of course, uh, I haven't done any podcasts lately, but my podcast series, Sasquatch Island, can be found on monsterxradio.com. Just go to the website, click through the prompts. You'll come up to three different podcasts. Mine is Sasquatch Island. I have well over 30 episodes, I think. Some pretty interesting things. But I highly recommend Sasquatch Island Facebook group. Take a beverage break, sit down, bathroom break as well, and scroll away, watch, listen, read. And if you're into listening to YouTube channels, I've gone out in a fish boat and elsewhere and done some really good videos on YouTube channels, Sasquatch Island. That's about it. Other than that, go to the things I told you. You'll see my email, tom.seawit at gmail.com. And hopefully you can get out an investigation with me. If not, send me your questions. I'll be happy to answer them. And if you're interested in my art, uh, Sasquatch Island, send me an email. And I can, our private messenger, and uh, I can send you a bunch of pictures of the Sasquatch, Walkie Walk native art that I do on all types of mediums. Sasquatchlegend.com. That's where you'll find all my t-shirts and coffee mugs and different things with Sasquatch designs. I thank you all very much. Be safe out there. Investigations. Always be respectful of Sasquatch. Don't ever think of harming them or shooting them because trust me, you will end up being a steaming coiler in the forest. Everything that screws up the forest gets become a poop. Never forget that. <laughs> thank you very much. And in my language, Alakulisla. Go in peace. Thanks, Tom. And I will... Uh... I, I will post all that stuff in the show notes so the listeners can quick, quick, quick into your into your uh, media and uh, products. So, well, thank you for your time, Tom. I super appreciate it. I know it's uh, it was nine thirty now. We've been going for a little bit. I will be sure to email you as soon as we get off and uh, off here, and I will uh, send you my my cell phone number and whatnot and we'll link up this week absolutely no and that's all I got for you today if you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, like, download, and all that other cool stuff you can do to help spread the word about this podcast. I want to thank Tom for taking the time to chat with me. I know you're a busy guy, Tom, so I super appreciate the time you gave. And to the listener, be sure to check out Tom's media at Sasquatch Island on YouTube, Monster X Radio, and on his website at SasquatchIsland.com. Doing custom and private Sasquatch expeditions like he does is something that not many people get to do. And with the expertise and knowledge Tom has of the area and the subject, this is an opportunity not to be missed. So thank you for checking out all of Tom's work. And thank you for being here tonight. And before I let you go, I'd like to remind you, love yourself, love others, be kind, be safe, and until next time. Thank you.
Lately it's looking like everything perfect Out the mud with it, I put the work in You can find me where that turf is Pin precision like a surgeon Bad ones used to curb me Showing up to the show when the curse split She know that I'm worth it I'm finna go up, I'm aerial I got the hit stash Got a bracelet for impact Real tricky, quick to flip a pretty penny to a thick stack Quick stack, think fast and I talk real I give a fuck about how they feel Me and Zay just dropped the propane And it sounded like massive pill For my dog, I'ma ride to the wheels kill Got his hand on the hammer, so keep it legit I been the man with the blueprint I'ma stop till I own every brick I used to lay out in the lawn just to feel the world spin on its axis Now I got the access and the last laugh got it off of the passion Keep it a hundred on the dash now that we got our subtraction Slick talker, I'm a showstopper, you are not solid Trade cautious, couldn't go a mile in my toe box Stun a shade with the visine, light it up and bring the vibe in Lime tint, color spot beam on me, I'm a star, every night lit, ultraviolet Hey, I told her make sure that phone is on silent So we know I'm what the vibe is, take a look at my iris I think she know that I'm high risk, I never know what the time is I never know when my mind went We straight, yeah. Look, it's a lot on my mind, and I got an eye on the prize. And I'ma make sure that we straight. I'ma make sure that, hey. I got a lot on my plate. I got an eye on the prize, and I'ma make sure that we straight, yeah. Look, it's a lot on my mind, and I got an eye on the prize. And I'ma make sure that we straight. I'ma make sure that I used to toss a coin in the waterfalls in the wishing well. Now I get plenty coin, bitch. I'm self-made. You ain't gotta wish me well. You ain't like me then, but I guess it's past tense Cause you tapped in, you was never who you said I see the facade when looking, they really be that quick to tell My guard up, I ain't taking nails If it's not in my favor, won't sign a deal I got the royalty in the mail I got authority in the field Take a look in my iris I be precise with the timing I move on the touch, that shit high risk I never know where my mind went Ayy, I got a lot on my plate I got an eye on the prize And I'ma make sure that we straight Yeah it's a lot on my mind, and I got an eye on the prize, and I'ma make sure that we straight, I'ma make sure that we, ay, I got a lot on my plate, I got an eye on the prize, and I'ma make sure that we straight, ay. Look, it's a lot on my mind, and I got an eye on the prize, and I'ma make sure that we straight, I'ma make sure that we,